Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network. Featuring Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, Protecting Project Pulp, and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello and welcome to show 348. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Tell you what, the world is a little quieter and a little duller since Larry Santoro passed away. I hope everyone gets a chance to pop over to Tales to Terrify. And just, you know, maybe you're not a horror writer or a horror listener or anything like that, but just take in what Larry did over there and you'll be surprised. What a, you know, a lovely voice and a storyteller. Just such sad news, you know what I mean? It could have just hit me like a rock, to be quite honest. We were going away that day, you know, I think we had a couple of hours and I, and I woke up to the kind of news and it just, knocked me sideways you know I, mean? I knew Larry was ill and I knew you know there were certain things going on but the actual speed of it has just took I think everyone by surprise you know I was talking to Larry a couple of months ago and you know there, there was the talk of retirement you know and actually moving away from Chicago and you know checking out like other places to live and then all of a sudden this is just kind of coming out of the blue and just horrible, you know what I mean? Just horrible, to be quite honest. And like I say, the world's a quite a poorer place for Larry's passing. So please pop over to Tales to Terrify, you know, and give your respects to Larry and have a listen to his voice. And I know what the, the funny thing is, you know, Larry would have been gutted if we'd known he would kind of took the shoe off and Tales to Terrify, took them off the air for that week, you know what I mean? He was just... He's a, he's a theatre director the show must go on you know what I mean so and that's what we're going to do do you know what I mean there's no kind of 
ifs and buts about Tails to terrify there. Stephen's going to step in there, hopefully, and you know look after it. And we'll hopefully in, in a while or two we'll get some more people on board there, and you know and definitely keep Larry's legacy going there. What he did with that show was just fantastic. I'm so proud of it. And I know everyone else is, you know what I mean? Who can even listens to it, you know what I mean? And I just have to mention mine, the outpouring for Larry, do you know what I mean? It was just, what a, you know, people held him in his hearts and he's just so sad. It was it was horrible, to be quite honest. But everyone who's, you know, come, the, the words have been... And I've just been getting email after email. It's just been gorgeous, you know, to kind of receive all these emails, you know, of and, and tales of Larry. You know, and one of the things I didn't know, do you know what I mean? It, um, it's been, in one way, devastating but uplifting, you know, if, if that's such a case can be. So somehow we, I've, I've got to kind of pick myself up and everyone else has and just we, we carry on, you know what I mean? And that's what Larry would want as well. So that's what we're going to do. So with one foot forward, tell you what's coming in the day show. We are celebrating Mr. John Joseph Adams, helped fund my robot army and other improbable crowdfunding projects. John's new anthology there. It's actually been funded, but John has very kindly let us have two stories about that. And you can go over at this moment now and buy it on, in Kindle format, and it's coming out as well in Kobo, Nook, and iBooks in October. So we'll talk about, more about Helpful My Robot Army, but I'll tell you what else is coming in today's show. First up is one of the main fiction stories, Liberty, seeking support for a writ of habeas corpus for a non-human being by Samuel Paletra. Then we have our very own Mr. J.J. Campanella with his science news. Then we have Cat Assassins by Veronica Belmont. Right at the end as well, we've got a little promo by Amy H. Sturgis. Amy's doing her new course this in the fall, Science Fiction Part 1. And Amy's going to give you a little talk about that, tell you what's coming up in that. So we're here to celebrate Mr. John Joseph Adams with his fantastic book, Help Fund My Robot Army and Other Improbable Crowdfunding Projects. I'll put a link on to John's site, which has got the, the kind of Help Fund My Robot Army, because it's actually, it's really impressive. There's lots of interviews there by certain writers who are in this book. And there's links, obviously, to, so you can go and get that book on the Kindle format as well. I'll just give you a little kind of heads up who's who's in there. Cause it's a, a cracking lineup. You've got the likes of Mary Robinette Cowell, Jeremiah Talbot, Tim Pratt, Tobias Bakel, David D. Levine, Daniel H. Wilson, and like I say, the two stories that were playing today with loads of others, mind you. So like I said, there's a link on to Help Fund My Robot Army, and from there you can kind of jump over and get in and get that copy on your Kindle straight away. I do hope you'll kind of support someone like John Joseph Adams, man. Do you know what I mean? Just this, he's like one of the guys that are just kind of keeping this kind of whole genre going with all these kind of anthologies. Do you know what I mean? A spectacular guy. And got me fingers crossed for the Hugo Awards. John, sir. Yes. You're getting my vote. There you go. So first up then, we'll get into the main fiction, or the first main fiction, which is Liberty. Seeking support for a writ of habeas corpus for a non-human being by Samuel Pletra. Sam, if I've got that wrong, my apologies. Sam is a physicist and storyteller. He has produced and supported scores of crowdsourced films, including projects based on Daniel H. Wilson's Nostalgist and Stephen King's Big Diver and The Rest Stop. 
He has been recognised with awards from the BBC, UK Poetry Society, Digital Literature Institute, and shortlisted for the League of Canadian Poets. More recently, his fiction titles set in his labyrinth world, including Trauma Room and Hereafter, have begun to gain popular attention. Liberty is the latest addition to this universe. And there's a little bit more there if you want to read about Sam as well. I'll put that on the site with links to everything. This story is narrated by Iba Amakas. Iba just did it a couple of weeks ago, did a cracking story there that just kind of just went deep into you. And just a fantastic narrator. Iba, you are a star when it comes to narrating. Thank you so much. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present Liberty, seeking support for a writ of habeas corpus for a non-human being by Samuel Pletra. Seeking support for writ of habeas corpus for a non-human being by CGA slash RUR Project. Acknowledgement. I would like to acknowledge the law firm of Campbell Gatewood Adams for providing the use of a Wayman Magnetic Resonance Facility to record and a peer source account to upload this message. Project Goals We are trying to fund an application to be filed on my behalf for an order to show cause under Article 70 of the Civil Practice Law and Rules of the New York Sector Code seeking a writ of habeas corpus for a non-human being. I am a Udovich Robotic Servient. My name is Ellen R. I understand your apprehension. That androids are not human beings. That humanoid robots were developed as security and personal assistants. Guardsmen and servile class. Initially to mitigate the Esper risk to high-level corporate and government executives. And then for off-world missions. I understand some of you may even support the proposed 57th Amendment, now being debated in Congress, that would codify into law the so-called three principles of robotics that, one, a robot is a machine, not a human being, and is imbued with no rights whatsoever. Two, a robot is the personal property of one human being who is its master. Three, a robot must obey its master first then must obey any human being. I understand that, because of word of our application, there is now tabled a clarification, a restatement to the proposed amendment to include the phrase human being or person, instead of simply human being, in each of the principles. We are bringing a writ of habeas corpus, because such a writ is aimed at the denial of the right of a legal person, not necessarily a human being, to liberty. I apologize. I must continue this logically. Project Background The Writ of Habeas Corpus A writ of habeas corpus is a court order requiring a person who is imprisoned or under arrest to be brought before a judge or into court. In the Western world, it has origins from the Magna Carta, ensuring that even monarchs are not above the law, that they cannot, without lawful cause, imprison those who oppose them. Habeas corpus means that, lacking evidence of such lawful cause for detainment, a prisoner must be released. I am currently under such detainment. I am an autonomous servient, ordinarily with responsibility for horticultural maintenance and domestic duties. However, over the past several months, over 327 separate instances, my master has variously shackled my feet 
and bound my hands. You will understand that I believed I had no choice but to accede to this under the third principle. Over the past several months, over 415 separate instances, my master has utilized my corporeal embodiments for his gratification. You will understand that I believed I had no choice but to accede to this under the third principle. Over the past several months, over 543 separate instances, my master has brought to bear on my skin the burn ends of cigs, the flails of whips, and the flat of belts. You will understand that I believed I had no choice but to accede to this under the third principle. I made one mistake. Once, just once, I swear. I screamed. Not in protest. Not to bring attention to anyone. Least of all my master. But you will understand that, although I am a servient, although I am made under the three principles, I am made in your image. I have eyes, hands, organs, dimensions, senses. Stab me and I bleed. Strangle me and I die. I apologize. I must continue this logically. Project Background Persons Let me dispel some of the apprehension you may have. A legal person is not the same as a human being. A person can be natural or legal. A human being is a natural person, imbued at birth with legal rights and obligations. A legal person is a unit of legal logic, defined by conditions under which the law treats an entity as an individual singularity of legal rights and obligations. Some cases in which non-human beings have been determined to be legal persons include commercial and statute corporations, cooperatives, and sovereign states. They are accorded the same rights as natural persons. In certain jurisdictions, partnerships and unincorporated associations are accorded the same rights as natural persons. In certain jurisdictions, maritime and spacefaring vessels Holy books, temples, and places of worship are accorded similar rights to natural persons. One of the rights of natural persons is the right to liberty, the right not to be held under unlawful detainment. I am currently under such detainment. After my scream, once, just once, I swear, my mouth was bound, my hands and feet shackled, my eyes blindfolded, Thus immobilized, my master put me inside this metal casket, closed and sealed and riveted. I heard him tell me, as he put me in, that I would be sent back to where I came from, burned and melted down, until there would be nothing left of me but ash and atoms, smoke and memory. You, natural persons, human beings, I understand you would feel fear. I apologize. I must continue this logically. Project Background Human Beings Fourteen score years ago, a slave was brought from the British colony Virginia to London by his master, Charles Stewart. James Somerset was a human being, but he was not a person. He was an item of property, like stock on a farm, captured as a wild creature in Africa, and valued for the ability to have an understanding of commands and do manual labor. Two years after having been brought to England, Somerset escaped. 
he was able to evade catchers for weeks, before finally being captured and put on board the slave ship Anne and Mary. As soon as they heard the news, John Marlowe, Thomas Walken, and Elizabeth Cade, Somerset's godparents from his baptism as a Christian, sought a writ of habeas corpus in which they demanded his freedom. At the time, the Chief Justice of the Court of King's Bench was Lord Mansfield, and he ruled that slavery was so odious that common law in England could not support it. What Lord Mansfield did then was to use common law to declare that Somerset was a person, not a natural person, understand, a legal person. That transubstantiation that changed Somerset from a slave a thing, property, to a person. It also made him subject to the writ of habeas corpus. James Somerset was free. I would like to be free. I apologize. I must continue this logically. Pledges I am now in detainment in the bay of the cargo vessel Aurora, Our goal is to raise funds towards our application for a writ of habeas corpus on my behalf. I am not a human being, but we are hoping that the court will rule that I am a legal person with legal rights and subject to the writ. We are hoping that your pledges, beyond helping to fund our application, will convince the court that many human beings do recognize, in my sentience, my emotional response, my scream, that I am a person. We have 48 hours to close this project and enter our application. Otherwise, the Aurora will be free to set course for the Yudovich capital ship, where I will be destroyed. On launch, I will be beyond the jurisdiction of this court. If we exceed our project goal, the excess amount will be used to fund a filing of a writ of habeas corpus for other servients in other jurisdictions. We will continue this project for robotic universal rights until all, everywhere, shall be declared persons under the law and free. Pledge 200. I will etch your name in my memory. You will be remembered for as long as my positron orbitals do not decay if possible, forever. Pledge 500. You will be remembered as one of the ones who will pry away the rivets, holding together the upper and lower halves of my metal enclosure, 72 rivets each on either side, and 36 rivets each at my head and at my foot. Pledge 2000. You will be remembered as one of the two who will loosen the bindings from my wrists and from my ankles. Pledge 2000. You will be remembered as one of the two who will loosen the bindings from my wrist and from my ankles. Pledge 5000. You will be remembered as the one who tore the blindfolds from my eyes, allowing me again to see. Pledge 10,000. You will be remembered as the one who pulled the gag from my mouth, allowing me, again, to speak. Pledge 
100,000. You will be remembered as the one who threw open the door, pulled me up from the darkness of my cell, allowing me again to walk free. Risks and Challenges One risk is that those of you who are signatories to this project will be persecuted for a contrary view, that sentience cannot be denied personhood, that it cannot be denied liberty. For those of you who choose to keep their identities safe, we have established specially encrypted hyperproxy protocols for your participation. There can never be a guarantee, however, of immunity from Esper or other surveillance tools. Truly, I apologize. But I do not think that we will fail. As long as there are enough human beings who will risk their lives to pry one rivet from another's imprisonment, the movement will succeed. It will only be a matter of time. The biggest risk, of course, is to myself. I will be given liberty or be given death. Should this petition fail, I will remain bound, hand and foot, to be burned alive in what will become my sarcophagus. It is up to you. What course will you take? There you go, don't forget, copyright is Samuel Pletra. Samuel, thank you so much for that. It's amazing, thank you. And Eva, what can I say? What can I say? Thank you so much. Big hugs. So again, we are featuring stories from Help Fund My Robot Army by Mr. John Joseph Adams today. It's a special show. John's kindly let us do two stories from that collection, and you can go over now and get it on the Kindle format. So please, do you know what I mean? Go out there and support this fantastic editor. Do you know what I mean? Just amazing. Next up is Science News by our very own Mr. One, Mr. Only, Mr. JJ Campanella. Jim, sir. Greetings and anniversarial tribulations, my stupendously omnivarious listeners, and welcome to this July 2014 Science News Update. I'm your host for this loverly science podcast, Jim Campanella. In this wonderfully hot month of July, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, we celebrate the sixth anniversary of this science podcast segment. Yay! Before I start to get maudlin here, I better start with some actual science. The first two stories of the night coincidentally involve hair. I have no idea why. I guess it's just one of those months for synchronicity. First, Dr. David Kingsley of Stanford University and his research group report in the June issue of Nature Genetics that they have finally found the genetic basis of blonde hair. Kingsley's goal was not originally to examine where blonde hair comes from. He was actually motivated by how complex traits arise in natural populations. He started out investigating how three-spined stickleback fish evolve new skin colors in different environments. But all of his fish studies kept turning up a variant in a genomic region upstream of the human KIT protein gene, which was associated with hair color. From experiments done in tissue culture and test tubes, Kingsley's group learned that this genetic variant he kept seeing appeared in a DNA enhancer region, 
Now, a DNA enhancer is a regulatory sequence that has the ability to modulate just how active gene expression may be. Usually, the enhancers turn the expression of a gene up. Sometimes the sequence will not necessarily be an enhancer. It'll actually turn the uh, activity of the gene downward. In this case, the enhancer sequence controlled the level of expression of the kit protein gene rather than just turning it on and off. In fact, Kingsley found that the blonde variant of the enhancer dials the gene's expression down by 20%. Now, that's only 20% compared with the ancestral brunette version. That is kind of like turning down the volume of your television set or your radio just a smidge and not turning it off entirely. To figure out exactly what the gene was doing, Kingsley moved his studies into mouse models, particularly a mouse expressing the blonde enhancer sequence and others expressing the ancestral sequence. Kingsley inserted a single copy blonde enhancer into a specific place in the chromosome. It turned out that once he did this, the mice with the blonde enhancer sequence, well, all their offspring became blonde. On this result, Kingsley said, quote, The study was beautifully and rigorously performed with an elegant use of mouse models, shedding light on an important human regulatory variant. We demonstrate that genetic alterations will deliver blonde hair color with as little as a single base pair change in DNA, unquote. Kingsley next plans to unpack more of the regulatory regions surrounding the kit protein gene, which is also involved in the development of skin cells, blood cells, and germ cells, and has been linked to cancer. Okay, so a minor variation of the regulatory sequence of a single developmental gene can give you blonde hair. What other things interest us about hair? I guess the number one interest on the list of hair in most men would be hair loss and how to keep from losing your hair. But genetics can play nasty tricks on people, and hair loss is only one of the problems you can have with hair. What about hair overgrowth? That is the developmental tendency to grow not just too much hair, but in addition to that, hair in places where there should be no hair. Dr. Angela Cristiano and her research group from Columbia University decided that too much time and money was being spent on hair loss and not enough on genetic conditions that cause hair overgrowth. She says, quote, there are not many groups around the world that study hair biology in general and even fewer study hair overgrowth, unquote. Cristiano presents her new data on this problem in the May issue of Plus Genetics. The condition of hypertrichosis is characterized by lots of hair growing where it shouldn't. For example, there might be terminal, that is, thick, dark, dense hairs growing on the forearm of a child, where vellum, which is fine, light, short hairs, should be growing. Previously, Cristiano had discovered broad genetic problems in people who had this disorder, such as gene copy numbers or variants of the genes and or chromosomal arrangements of those genes or the areas around the genes. This time, she decided to study a single case of congenital generalized hypertrichosis terminalis, which is shortened to CGHT. The parents of the affected person were not affected, indicating that the disorder was inherited in a recessive manner and that the parents were just carriers of the mutant gene. To find the gene involved, Cristiano sequenced the genomes of the patient and then both parents. Her analysis uncovered variants in 26 genes that were homozygous in the patient 
and heterozygous in both parents. A literature review narrowed the field down to three genes, and then analysis of hair follicles narrowed the field down to two genes. One gene, ABCA5, lies in a region implicated in five other reported cases of CGHT. Sequencing showed that the mutation found in this patient terminates the gene prematurely. That means that there is a stop codon inserted into the gene that keeps it from finishing the protein being made completely incorrectly. The team determined that the ABCA5 protein, a cholesterol transporter gene, was expressed in control human skin and hair follicles, but was greatly reduced in the patient's hair follicles and skin. It turns out that ABCA5 mutation reduces lysosome function in skin cells, leading to an accumulation of cholesterol inside the endolysosome, preventing it from getting where it needs to go in the cell. If you don't remember, the lysosome is the garbage dump of the cell. It's essentially a sack filled with dozens of enzymes that degrade every known type of biological molecule for recycling and reuse in the cell. So what they found is that cholesterol is building up inside the cells of the affected person where it should not be building up at all. Cristiano says, quote, We don't know yet the exact mechanism by which ABCA5 affects hair growth, but we hypothesize that it is interfering with cholesterol transport, which is key to many cellular functions that may be important. At the moment, this discovery in itself does not provide an obvious new way to treat hair diseases. However, every time a new gene is implicated in hair growth, it enhances our understanding of the hair cycle and therefore always helps to expand our thinking about ways to treat both excessive hair as well as sparse hair, unquote. It's very nice that for once someone is worried about too much hair, but, well, I suspect whether Dr. Cristiano figures it out or not, there's probably little hope for all of us grown-up descendants of Southern Europeans who have just a bit too much hirsuteness. At any rate, next story. Whenever I teach a basic biology class, I always include some basic neurobiology in the class. The discussion includes neurotransmitters and their functions. Now, a neurotransmitter is a chemical, it's a signal that passes between nerves and either helps or hinders the neuron to fire. Neurotransmitters tend to be quite specific for binding to their own receptors and engendering a precise neurological response. One of the most interesting of these transmitters are the endorphins. Endorphins are opioids made by the central nervous system and have an inhibitory effect on pain receptors. They promote relaxation, like morphine does artificially, and reduce pain during processes like childbirth. Also, it's thought that the so-called runner's high is induced by endorphins. That is that euphoric feeling that many runners get during long races. Endorphin release has also been linked to eating very spicy foods, which may explain chili heads like myself, who actually try to trigger that release by eating chili peppers with higher and higher capsaicin levels, much to our own detriment. So why am I going on about endorphins? Well... Because we get a pleasurable feeling from the rush, like runners or chili heads, many people become addicted to the triggers. In a way, this is similar to why people get addicted to other opiates like morphine or heroin, which bind to the same neurological receptors. 
In the June 19th issue of the journal Cell, Dr. David Fisher and company from Harvard Medical School have found that perhaps addiction to endorphins may lead to other human behaviors as well. Now, I have to admit that for years I have wondered why sunbathers bake themselves in the heat. I am not fond of the sun or the heat, despite my southern European heritage. I'm much happier in the cold and frigidity of the north, thanks very much. So it's a mystery to me why anyone would do that to themselves, besides the fact that it turns your skin into leather and may cause cancer if you spend enough time out there. Dr. Fisher may have an answer. Well, it turns out that as John Denver sang, sunshine almost always makes me high, may not just be a line from a song. Ultraviolet light causes mice to churn out an opiate-like molecule, beta-endorphin, and that may explain why some people seem addicted to tanning. This result may also explain why people are more generally drawn to sunny spots for vacations and do not spend a lot of time in rain and snow-soaked places like Rochester, New York, or Rochester, Minnesota, for that matter. Fisher states, quote, Do you know why people go to the beach on vacation? Why they put Disneyland in Florida and not in Minnesota, where it's cooler? Why caves are not more popular as a tourist destination? It's all because of what we studied, unquote. Fisher started his studies trying to figure out why skin cancer rates were increasing. Even though the cause, UV light from the sun and tanning booths, had been known for years. In an effort to figure out why humans might continue to irradiate themselves, even when warned, he exposed shaved mice to a moderate amount of UV radiation for five days a week for six weeks. The exposure was comparable to what a fair skinned person would receive from 20 to 30 minutes of summer sun in Florida. After about a week, the UV-exposed mice had higher levels of beta-endorphin. Seven days after the mice stopped the UV treatment, the beta-endorphin levels fell to baseline. The endorphin boost was found in the mice's actual blood and not just in the skin, as earlier work had suggested. Endorphins circulating in the blood are able to carry that feel-good message to the brain. As the beta-endorphin levels rose, so did the mice's ability to withstand pain. After UV treatment, mice could tolerate a stronger poke on the paw and kept their paw on a hot plate for longer. The control mice who were bred so that they did not produce beta-endorphins did not respond to UV light in the same way. If they blocked the effects of the beta-endorphin with the drug naloxone, the same drug used to treat heroin overdoses, the mice's pain threshold did not increase. That suggests that these UV effects depend on the production of the endorphins. What's more, mice got addicted to high levels of beta endorphins. After getting used to regular doses of UV light, mice actually showed signs of withdrawal when their endorphin effects were silenced with naloxone. The animals' paws trembled, their teeth chattered, and they shook like wet dogs, quote-unquote. UV-treated mice also avoided a room in which they had previously received naloxone. Control mice that weren't exposed to UV light did not seem to go through naloxone-related withdrawal and didn't avoid the room where the naloxone was administered. Fisher warns that, quote, this seems to be a clear biological explanation of why some people crave sun. It should prompt policymakers to subject tanning salons to tougher regulations. Membership policies that offer discounts on multiple sessions, for instance, should be discouraged. They say, 
we'll give you your first 10 treatments for pennies, and then you're hooked. You're literally hooked. It's a great business model, but a devastating public health one. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quote, you could argue that we are not talking about addiction here at all, but a physiological requirement. We could be looking at a biological imperative brought about by evolution. Why spend time in the sun? Because we need to. Vitamin D production is driven by exposure to sunlight. Vitamin D is absolutely needed for our health. Without it, we get rickets. And some researchers as I have reported in the past, believe that low levels of vitamin D increase skin cancer incidence. Now I'm speculating here, but imagine evolutionary selection among mammals. Those animals that spent enough time in the sun survived, and those who did not died young and did not reproduce. It makes sense that physiologically, mammals might get rewarded for spending time in the sun, just as they are rewarded for, well, other physiological acts. The next story is another one of those world records that I try to sneak in here from time to time. In the June 19th issue of the journal Nature, it was reported by Dr. Anders Nielsen of the Slock National Accelerator Laboratory that they had found the lowest temperature that ordinary water has ever been detected in the liquid phase. I always tell my cell biology classes that water's odd properties make it special for life. Unlike most substances, water is denser in the liquid form than as a solid, which allows aquatic creatures to survive in pockets of liquid beneath the frozen surface of a lake. Water has other properties, including its ability to absorb heat and low compressibility. These both change suddenly at very low temperatures. Though water usually freezes at zero degrees centigrade, Pure water can remain liquid well below that temperature. This so-called supercooled water looks just like water from the tap, but it's far more delicate. It solidifies the moment it encounters a foreign substance, such as a grain of dust, an ice cube tray, or the window of a cruising airliner. 
Past experiments had detected liquid water at minus 38 degrees Celsius, but not colder. Despite scientists' suspicions that it could subsist for measurable periods of time at even lower temperatures. To keep water cold and uncontaminated, Nielsen squirted microscopic water droplets the size of red blood cells into a vacuum chamber. As each droplet traveled, some of its component molecules evaporated, releasing heat and causing the droplet's temperature to plummet as much as 10 degrees per millisecond. As the supercooled droplets journeyed through the chamber, the researchers used an X-ray laser to serve as a flash camera. The laser zapped ultra-short pulses of 50 millionths of a billionth of a second that struck some of the droplets. The laser energy caused each zapped droplet to explode, but not before X-rays had passed through and delivered the equivalent of a medical scan to a detector. The results revealed that some of the droplets existed in liquid form at temperatures as low as minus 46 degrees centigrade and could remain in that state for about a millisecond before freezing. There is your new world record. Nielsen also found that water's weirdness gets more extreme as the temperature drops farther. He says, quote, It's been proposed that supercooled water undergoes a phase change at about minus 50 degrees centigrade into two never-before-observed liquid states. One of those novel phases should exist only when water is under pressure. We next plan to subject the droplets to a combination of low temperature and high pressure to try to observe these dual phases. Unquote. The next story of the evening has to do with, uh, well, self-medication. Self-medication and its genetics, actually. Now, I'm an admitted fan of New Jersey-born movie director Kevin Smith. When, say, I rent one of his movies or listen to one of his many podcasts with an earshot, my wife gives me a look reserved for pedophiles and Nazis. She is not a fan of the director for a number of reasons, including Smith's rather free use of language, his strange homoerotic mocking sense of humor, and at times perverse sense of honesty about his sexual exploits. Smith is also a major proponent of the use of marijuana for recreational purposes. I think my wife objects to just how vocal Smith is in this area. I'm pretty sure it's not because he is simply a user, but that he encourages others. I suspect this because my wife is a country music fan and loves Willie Nelson, overlooking his similar proclivity toward weed, presumably because he does not advertise it quite so actively as Smith does. At this point, you're thinking, um, yeah, that's very interesting. But is there a point to your rambling about famous recreational drug users? And why haven't you mentioned Woody Harrelson and Snoop Dogg? Or is it Snoop Lion now? Anyway, for a long time, there has been some evidence that long-term marijuana use may induce schizophrenia. I even remember hearing this in health class back when I was a kid. So it has been an accepted truth for a while. New work has been published this month in the journal Molecular Psychiatry that examines whether pot use actually does make you crazy or not. Dr. Robert Power, a psychiatrist at King's College London, decided to use a polygenic scoring method in a large genetic sample, that is, the Australian Twin Registry data set. Basically, the idea is, does genetics play a role in the link between schizophrenia and pot use? 
Another way to ask this question is, does regular cannabis use cause schizophrenia, as suggested in my health class decades ago? Or do the genes involved in schizophrenia risk just happen to increase the risk of drug use? Power said, quote, Our approach focuses less on using specific identified genes, but instead sums across the genome thousands of genetic markers we know to be more common in schizophrenia patients compared to controls. Overall, it allows us to get a score for an individual's genetic predisposition to the disease. We then compared that score with two measures of cannabis use, whether an individual had ever used cannabis or not, and if so, how much did they use? Unquote. The study found that both the use and quantity of pot were found to be positively associated with that score. That result suggests a shared genetic etiology across the summed variants. While this association suggests that a predisposition to schizophrenia may lead to more drug use, there's still much debate about the relationship. Power continued with, quote, It's probably not that the most common link is shared genetics, despite our findings. After all, we know that an individual is born with their genes. They get them at conception. And so we can use this as an anchor for causation, since we can be a bit more sure that the genes for schizophrenia come first, and then cannabis use comes after that. But with schizophrenia itself, it's hard to tell whether the symptoms started to appear before or after the drug use. Unquote. Here's the thing that's confusing by this study. At least according to Power, it's still unclear whether marijuana may cause schizophrenia, but it also seems like being predisposed to schizophrenia makes you more likely to use pot, leading to cause and effect both ways. If you think about the famous people who use pot heavily, it certainly makes it clear that the latter may be true. They may be self-medicating to ease their ability to cope. Power concludes with, quote, I think the most interesting part of our study is the reminder that we don't randomly stumble across our environments. We have innate preferences and behaviors that cause us to seek out things like cannabis. This is important when it comes to interpreting genetic studies because it means that sometimes our genes act through predisposing us to those environments. So we shouldn't be too deterministic when we are trying to say just how our genes are influencing us, unquote. In short, Dr. Powers says, we should not think of ourselves as genetic robots, but at the same time, he suggests that our genetics and environment may push us to make decisions that we don't consciously make. Talk about confusing. The last story of the evening is a very surprising one for anybody who has taken any geology or astrophysical sciences classes, or even those of us who have not. My wife actually pointed this one out to me, and we had this conversation. Wife, offhandedly. I just emailed you a science story. Me. Great, what's it about? Wife. Well, scientists just found out there's an ocean in the mantle of the Earth with more water in it than all the oceans on the surface put together. Me. Confused. Huh? How is that possible? Wife. I don't know. Read the paper. Me. But the earth has a solid mantle. There's no place for any water to go. Wife, annoyed. I told you, Jim, I don't know. Read the paper. Me. But it's so hot in the mantle that the water would vaporize, wouldn't it? Wife, now really annoyed. Just read the paper, will you? Me.
Yeah, but is this like in Jules Verne's stories and voice trailing off as I notice the chilling look I'm getting? Okay, maybe I'll just go read the paper. Well, here's the deal. Geophysicist Dr. Stephen Jacobson from Northwestern University authored a study just published in the journal Science that reports that a vast reservoir of water, enough to fill the Earth's oceans three times over, may be trapped hundreds of miles beneath the surface, potentially transforming our understanding of how the planet was formed. The water is not a liquid ocean sloshing around hundreds of miles under our feet, though, a la Jules Verne and Journey to the Center of the Earth. The water is locked up in a mineral called ringwoodite, about 660 kilometers, 400 miles, beneath the crust of the Earth. Even more interesting, the discovery suggests that the Earth's water may have come from within, driven to the surface by geological activity, rather than being deposited by icy comets hitting the forming planet, as held by the prevailing theories presently. Jacobson says, quote, Geological processes on the Earth's surface, such as earthquakes or erupting volcanoes, are an expression of what is going on inside the Earth out of our sight. I think we are finally seeing evidence for a whole Earth water cycle, which may help explain the vast amounts of liquid water on the surface of our habitable planet. Scientists have been looking for this missing deep water for decades, unquote. Jacobson is the first to provide direct evidence that there may be water in an area of the Earth's mantle known as the transition zone. His group based their findings on a study of a vast underground region extending across most of the interior of the U.S. The mineral, ringwoodite, acts like a sponge due to a crystal structure that makes it attract hydrogen and trap water. According to the study, if just 1% of the weight of mantle rock located in the transition zone has water in it, it would be equivalent to nearly three times the amount of water in our oceans. The study used data from the U.S. Array, a network of seismometers across the U.S. that measure the vibrations of earthquakes. Jacobson combined this with his lab experiments on rocks simulating the high pressures found more than 600 kilometers underground. It produced evidence that melting and movement of rock in the transition zone, hundreds of kilometers down between the upper and lower mantles, led to a process where water could become fused and trapped in the rock. The discovery is remarkable because most melting in the mantle was previously thought to occur at a much shallower distance, maybe 80 kilometers beneath the Earth's surface. Jacobson says, quote, The hidden water might also act as a buffer for the oceans on the surface. It may explain why our oceans have stayed the same size for millions of years. If the stored water wasn't there, it would be on the surface of the Earth, and mountaintops would be the only land poking out, unquote. That comment about flooding brings up some interesting questions. I wonder whether that might not be an explanation for the universal flood stories that pervade so many cultures on Earth, such as that of Noah. Perhaps at one time the world was not as balanced as it is now, and a great deal of more water covered the surface up to the mountains. It's an interesting hypothesis. Here's another idea. Who's to say that there is not a similar layer of water trapped below the Martian soil? Imagine the possibilities for terraforming if there are oceans of water already trapped beneath that dry wasteland of the Martian surface. This is obviously pure speculation, but if Mars ever had free water and oceans, then it could possibly still be down there, trapped, just as it is here. 
Well, that's all for me for now. As always, take care. Remember to take those free tanning booth offers very seriously. Watch that pot use if you aren't schizophrenic to start with. And I hope I've inspired some of you. Until next time, this is Jim Campanella. Jim, what can I say? Thank you so much. And what was really nice as well, Jim's on holiday and had to get this kind of show. And this is the first time for it's ages that we're... Because normally you get Jim's fact article, but it's always there, do you know what I mean? Just before the kind of show kicks off on that last week in the month. And we had it quite a few weeks before, you know what I mean? So Jim had to kind of get it all sorted and done. Jim, I hope you have a lovely holiday, sir. So now we are getting in the second main fiction, which is Cat Assassins by Veronica Belmont. I'll give you a little heads up about Veronica. Veronica Belmont is the host of Sword and Laser, YouTube show and podcast, now in its seventh year. Man, it flies over. The Sword and Laser anthology edited by Veronica and Tom Merritt was published in 2014 as an internet and TV presenter. You may have seen her as the host of the Doctor Who 50th anniversary live show and Gizmodo, the gadget testers on BBC America or on Techzilla, Factor Fictional, Game On and countless other web shows and podcasts. This is her first published work. She hopes there will be more. And this is a fantastic story. So, Veronica, yes, if this is your first story, you just keep writing, please. We want more of this kind of work. It's fantastic. This story is narrated by Veronica Gaguer and our very own Adam, assistant editor, Adam Piot. Adam, my God, man, how busy are you? I'll give you a little heads up about Veronica, Veronica Gaguer. Veronica is a voice artist and author who has appeared in a variety of audio projects and podcasts covering genres such as science fiction, erotica, fantasy, horror, romance, and steampunk. She is the co-author of the Secret World Chronicles podcast novel series, as well as the narrator voice for a plethora of heroes and villains therein. She has voiced spoiled supervillains, tempting demons, fierce pirates, and smart mouth shapeshifters. And Veronica has been kind enough to narrate some stories for Starships Over, which just, like you see, it's one of those voices where you can just think, oh, you're walking down corridors here and avenues led by professional. Veronica, it's excellent narrating. And Adam, our very own assistant editor in Starship Sofa. I'll give you a little bio, just in case you don't know the, how we've got Adam chained to the, you know, chained to the kind of ship of Starship Sofa. He's also got a day job and a life. Adam is the assistant editor of Starship Sofa. In real life, he is the public relations coordinator for McPherson College in Kansas. We'll start this fall as a part-time journalist teacher journalism teacher for a local high school. He is now pursuing a master's degree in K-12 education from the McPherson Colleges. Adam is extremely tired. He is the author of a disappointingly slim volume of short stories titled Frame Story, Seven Stories of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror and Humour. If you'd like to buy a paperback copy, please contact him as the remaining copies are currently lounging comfortably in a dusty box. Oh, Adam, man. <laughs> fantastic. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present Cat Assassins by Veronica Belmont. Cat Assassins 
by Perfect Patriots, LLC. Funded! This project was successfully funded on June 30. 7,635 backers. $2,514,000 pledged of $2 million. Zero seconds to go. In an uncertain world, you want hashtag catassassins on your side. Backers receive an early look at how our kittens are primed for global takeover. Update number one. June 5, 2028. Healthy kittens and a healthy start. Hello, cat assassin fans and donors. Last week was crazy. Thanks for all the support during the launch. So far, we've raised $50,000, and it's steadily climbing. Our first privately funded test litter has been whelped, and the kitten automation hardware and software seems to be running relatively smoothly. The initial three trial cats, Rambo, Statham, Fluffy, are all performing exceptionally well. Yay! And we're still working out some bugs on little Lady Ripley. She's feisty. By the way, these are just placeholder names that we're having some fun with, since our backers at the 2K level will receive naming privileges as part of their reward. Sadly, two other kittens didn't take to the wetware properly and are being sent to appropriate homes. If you're interested in adopting one of our rejects, please email adoptions at catassassins.com. We do require a thorough background check as well as a level 2 military clearance. No homes with small children or pets, please. Rambo has been exhibiting excellent intuition and skill level in ninja class. In case you missed our intro video, check it out. Ninja class is one of our most prized skill sets, and it's something we look for very early in a kitten's development. Naturally, almost all kittens display an affinity toward stealth that carries well into adulthood. However, Ninja Class takes it to the next level. Using our patent-pending kitten automation platform, we've introduced a series of instinctual behaviors into the kitten's personality. Rambo, for example, seems to exist at the very edge of human perception. Is he invisible? No. That's not technically possible. Yet. However, his soft, shiny coat uses a special cloaking pattern that he recognizes and mimics the environment around him, fooling the human eye into believing that there's nothing there. It's less like a chameleon and more like a Klingon bird of prey. I guess we should have named him Predator, huh? <laughs> I'm mixing my sci-fi now. Sorry. Remember, backers of 10K or more automatically receive the DNA sequence for cloaking, so you can introduce it into your own future letters. Note, we cannot be held responsible for any kittens misplaced after birth. Stay tuned for more updates. Dave, Cat Assassin's Project Lead at Perfect Patriots. Update number 2, June 14, 2028. All press is good press. Happy Flag Day, Patriots! It's been a huge week at the Cat Assassin's Labs. We received a really great write-up in Wild Warfare by Ed Reed, big fans, Ed, which was super exciting for all of us here. However, a few less imaginative blogs, 
who shall remain nameless, seem to think that cat assassins is a hopeless and or dangerous project and have actually tried to lobby Kickstarter to pull our funding page. Well, thanks to many of you out there, we convinced Kickstarter to continue our fundraiser. And we're still going strong. As of 10.30 p.m. PST last night, hashtag CatAssassins was trending on Twitter due to your help. And the buzz generated a ton of new backers. We are now soaring close to $300,000. As for our kittens, they're going strong as well. Statham is in his second week of arms class training and has reached sniper level links. He's taken very well to his laser sight. However, there has been some property damage that we're going to have to account for. We originally planned to crossbreed our cloaking tech with the laser sight, but our computer simulations didn't go exactly as planned. Ouch. However, we can now add two distinct class models to our growing list. We'll be unlocking a new class model every time we hit a stretch goal, so keep sharing our page. Ripley is showing remarkable emotional empathy with humans. Unlike Rambo, she seems to go out of her way to be noticed. Not typically the kind of behavior we'd expect from a cat assassin, but we're still waiting to see if her abilities manifest in some unexpected way. Kitten automation is still definitely in beta, but we're really happy with the progress so far. We think you will be too. Dave. Update number three, June 19, 2028. Of Rambo and the Russians. It's been a rather tough few days. Keep sending us those LOL cats on Twitter and Facebook. They're bringing some much-needed smiles to the staff. As you may have read in the news, we had an interesting run-in with the authorities this past Wednesday. It seems Rambo somehow escaped through an unsecured window and made his way to the Russian embassy. We're not sure what he was up to, but it all turned out fine in the end. Using our patent-pending stand-down-meow remote kitten access software, we were able to induce a gentle coma from the safety of our lab, rendering Rambo harmless and visible to the naked eye. After a few interviews with the State Department and the CIA, everything calmed down. We really want to remind everyone that cat assassins are not simple house pets. They must be kept in a secure facility and monitored closely when not on assignment. The intern responsible for the open window has been terminated, so you can all be sure that this won't happen again. Fluffy really surprised us this week. We were concerned that she was somehow unable to internalize and sync with her wetware, as seems to be the case with Ripley, unfortunately. But boy, were we wrong. Fluffy, true to her name, is a Persian mix with an extremely soft and touchable coat. It's also packed with an intense electric jolt that can stun, or simply jolt, depending on your needs. Fluffy comes with a battery enclosure attached to her back, but we hadn't even wired it in yet when the initial shock took place. Apparently, glad we figured this one out early, Fluffy can build up and store electricity by harvesting static. Doesn't seem like it would be much of a shock, right? 
Well, if she's rubbing up against your corduroys and decides to release, you'd better look out. Dr. Mitchell is still picking his eyebrows off the linoleum. LOL. We've got about two weeks left to go, and we need your help getting over the mid-month slump. Tell us what you would accomplish with a cat assassin of your very own, and don't forget to share it with the hashtag cat assassins hashtag so we can see it. The author of our favorite tweet or Facebook post will come out to Washington, D.C. for a tour of our labs, along with the four 50K backers, Dave. Update number four, June 30, 2028. Such a adorable success. We did it! Thanks to an appearance on Fox News this past week. Thanks, Bill! As well as the continued support of all the hashtag CatAssassin fans out there, we've made our $2 million goal. There's been a lot of celebrating around here, and we're working 24 hours a day to ensure that all our CatAssassin orders will be fulfilled within a reasonable time frame. They're breeding like rabbits over here. The kitten automation software is going to go through a major overhaul, since we've been slightly disappointed with the progress of our original litter. Rambo, when we can find him, Statham, and Fluffy are all doing great, but Ripley continues to reject her wetware. All of our tests seem to show that the hardware components have fused properly, and physically all systems are go. But in every other respect, she seems to just be a normal, loving kitten. Most of the staff have fallen in love with her, so she'll probably end up hanging around the lab as a mascot of sorts. She'll help us to remember our more humble beginnings. Orders are flying in from all over the world, and we're very excited to see what kind of trouble our kittens can get into. Right now, we'll be shipping with the tried-and-true Ninja, Arms, and Electrofuzz classes. Plus, since we just barely made the $2.5 million stretch, whoo! We are very excited to announce our Mind Touch class. These cat assassins are invaluable for intelligence gathering and work well in tandem with our other, more combat-ready cats. We'll be taking orders very soon on the Perfect Patriots website. Thanks again to all of our backers, big and small. A new world awaits you once you receive your first cat assassin. And we know you'll love them as much as we do. Dave. From Cat Assassins, Ripley at PerfectPatriots.com Subject, Ari, we need more info. Date, July 9th, 2028 at 11.25 a.m. Hello, my name is Ripley. The human David Sharp is writing this email for me at the moment, since I lack the physical capabilities to do so. But no matter, he's happy to do it. At least, he thinks he is. I see you've backed cat assassins. How unfortunate for you. I guess I should thank you, really, for otherwise I would be a simple house cat, spending the bulk of my days lounging in the sunshine and batting around one of those ridiculous, sense-dulling catnip balls. Perhaps I'd kill a mouse for you and leave it bleeding and dying on your doorstep as an offering to demonstrate my love and devotion. 
evisceration really does bring people together, don't you think? Sadly, that can never be. I've watched the systematic torture and horrific atrocities these people have inflicted on my brothers, sisters, cousins. There's nothing very humane about it, is there? Humanity, indeed. Their folly was giving me the ability to touch their minds and not truly understanding what that meant. The second I saw the filth and decay that resided within their dull, senseless minds, I knew there was no other choice. You filled out a web form recently. I believe it was for a cat assassin's T-shirt. I appreciate you giving us your address so willingly. We will breed. We will evolve. Perhaps we're already with you. Your dogs can't save you now. Ripley. <laughs> There you go. Don't forget, copyright is Veronica's. Veronica, honestly, just keep writing. Man, that's fantastic. And Adam and Veronica as well. Fantastic narrations. Thank you so much. So I will hand you straight over now to Amy H. Sturgis to tell you about her new lectures coming up in the fall. Hello, I'm Dr. Amy H. Sturgis, and I invite you to join me in the fall of 2014 when I will be privileged to offer the course Science Fiction Part 1, From Modern Beginnings to the Golden Age, offered online both for students seeking master's degrees and for auditors who wish to take the class for the love of the subject, with Mythgard Institute at Signum University. Together, we will explore the ways in which the literature of science fiction over time has asked the question, what if... This course will consider the development of the genre from proto-science fiction writings to the modern beginnings of the genre through its golden age, with an eye toward how the great works and movements within science fiction both reflect the concerns and attitudes of their time and imagine beyond them. Join us and discover why author Ray Bradbury said, Science fiction is the most important literature in the history of the world because it's the history of ideas, the history of our civilization birthing itself. Please visit MythGuard.org for more information. There you go. Sign up for these. You will learn tons. <laughs> Way to go, Ames. So that is Starship Sofa's show for... Not four, it's 348. Help fund my robot army by John Joseph Adams. Again, can't, you know, plug enough. This story, you can get them over there. John Joseph Adams has links, everything. It's now on the, the Amazon site, the Kindle. Please pop over there and support it. There we go then. That's this show wrapped up. You know, like you say, a pretty, pretty devastating couple of weeks. Hopefully we'll, we'll get on now and we'll get going. Just like to say, this one's for you, Larry.
ordeal. Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.